Recording. Ah, the heat is off. The heat is off. <laughs> I knew that was coming. Scotch. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 135 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch Shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm a walking off by one error. I'm Sam, and I'm the artist. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is January 2.92018, exclamation mark, warning. (laughs) (laughs) Anything can happen on this show. There's going to be profanity, and then we'll talk about stuff. So if you don't like uh, swears and curses and hexes, Mm -hmm. get out of here. There will be many hexes. Yeah. So it seems like your strategy has increasingly become to just make unparsable date formats. Yeah, I was trying to put that together, but I couldn't do it as fast yeah. as you were. And then the exclamation mm-hmm. mark just threw me off. Just, yep, that was my, <laughs> that was my sort of one-two punch. Mm-hmm. Like, if you Keep thought, guessing. if you thought you knew where the next hit was coming from, boom, punctuation, right in the mm-hmm. mouth. Welcome All to right. 2018. Listen, what? listen, we did the Global Game Jam last weekend. Mm-hmm. What's that about? And last weekend is in Yesterday. yesterday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so for starters, Global Game Jam, it's a giant worldwide event. Some would call it global. Some would call it global. 30,000 people, right? 30. That was last year, I think. I don't, so I don't know what it was this year, you know, but it's usually I, more. I think this year was 93 million people. Yeah, a lot so. of people. Um, yeah. Great growth rate. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was also the 10th anniversary mm-hmm. of the Global Game Jam. It's been going for 10 years. Or the 11th, depending on who you talk to, or the 9th. Mm-hmm. It's a little unclear. Or the, or, or the first. Who knows? Uh, we yeah. don't really know. Nobody's been keeping track, I guess. Well, so. apparently the Global Game Jam has changed ownership like three times since its inception. Oh, I didn't so know So that's that. kind of weird, too. It was owned by the IGF for a while, and apparently they weren't really doing anything with it. So then, then it became its own organization. But it was started off... It was started by just some randos that you knock in a basement or something mm. before that. So it's it's a weird it's a weird. So thing. the first global game jam was global in the sense that it was on the earth. Well, probably somebody right. tw- probably <laughs> probably somebody tweeted it, and then they were like, "This is a global event now because because some dude Twitter. over in Poland also did it, yeah, or right. something like that." Yep. Yeah. So this is I think it's a little bit um, it's a little bit sort of offensive, you know, because almost every game jam is global now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I feel like True. they've really sort of taken the wind out of everybody else's sails mm. yeah, by, by kind of claiming to be the, the, global. the global game yeah. jam. Mm-hmm. Uh, because as we all know, the Butterscotch Shenanigan Jam coming up June 8th, 2018. It's also global. Also it's global. also global. But how, how would somebody sign up for that to be a part of this global, uh, they this just, other global game jam? They would just go to itch.io slash jam slash bscotch2018. Nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I think that's what it is. We got seventy-five people signed up or something. Like yeah, that. I think you can also go to bscotch.itch.io. I think and just like find it's in there. It I don't know. It's something. it. It's just there. You go mm-hmm. to the jams page and just scroll over to June. It's June eight. Uh, so I want to say one thing first before we get into talking about the jam and its meat, mm-hmm. which is the keynote video. So every year, Global Game Jam has a video that they show. And last year, the video was made by Extra Credits. It was amazing. It was just, you know, how to how to make a good jam game. And it was awesome and very well put together. This year, the keynote video, videos, plural, were different. Were, <laughs> they, were, they, were, they had a different tone mm-hmm. than last year. Uh, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it. I think the thing so, to do is to watch both of them back to back. It's all one like, video. Like we had. Oh, it's all okay. one video. Just go yeah. to YouTube. And just type in just look global, GGJ. Yeah, Global Game Jam 2018 yep. keynote. Yeah. Yeah. It is an experience. And yeah. bear in mind that at the beginning of the Global Game Jam, you're a captive audience because they they claim, oh yeah, the Global Game Jam, you gotta it starts at six. So you gotta be there at quarter to six. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really start at six. It starts at seven. They trap yeah. you in a room for an hour and subject you to this, this video. This video. Mm-hmm. Uh, and whoo, I, I th- it was a thing. I think I got mental whiplash from it. it yeah. was it was weird. So yeah, going from the hype of the jam mm-hmm. into the first video, and then it was like the a second one. It pulled you down, and uh, then the second video pulled you out. Yeah, just like <laughs> outside into yeah. another dimension. <laughs> and then and then it was back to talking about the jam, and everybody was just like, "What the yeah. fuck is happening?" It was interesting. Right. Yep. So uh, so watch that. It's crazy. Okay. So what we did for the jam is we've done uh, roughly four to a thousand jams, yeah. um, and so 
and we've even done jams that last a matter of a handful of hours. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the sort of uh, excitement of a 48 hour jam sort of isn't, isn't quite where it used to be for us. <laughs> uh, so we've, we've done stuff in the past. Like when we did the Shenanigan jam last year, we thought we're going to make a strategic card battling game with online multiplayer, right? Because because, Never done that before. Yeah, because because since we make games full time, then we're always developing tools to make things easier and faster. Which means a lot of the challenges that are present for somebody just starting making games in a game jam, we don't have those, so we have to keep upping the ante because we've we've created shortcuts for ourselves all over the place. And that jam is the one that produced what has now become scuffle scuffle buddies. buddies yeah. Right. So yeah. so jams are incredibly useful for us, and we love doing them. Uh, but where we're currently at uh, with the studio is because we are in the midst of a small game project, um, then then the purpose of the jam wasn't quite mm-hmm. what we needed it to be. We've done this before, like the the Global Game Jam in 2016 came the week after we launched Crashlands, or like two days, I think, after we launched Crashlands. Mm-hmm. So we were just in Crashlands Yeah, we were mode. just like, we're going to pass yeah. this year. But I think we've only missed, we've only missed... In terms of not sort of doing some some form of gem participation, I think the, just that two. one, yeah. one or two. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so this year we decided to instead of building a whole new game because we are currently building a whole new game, yeah. a little small one. Um, we just decided work on that. to yeah, just work on that for the weekend and and approach the jam mindset. So we were here until I think like eleven or so every night. Um, everybody rolled in somewhere between you know eight thirty and nine thirty, kind of depending. Yeah, we did put in probably a good thirty something hours of so. work on the game from Friday mm-hmm. through Sunday. And it was a lot of fun because I think in, in particular, it was a really good, uh, I think it's a really good overall sort of studio reset after right. like all the stuff that's gone on, even just the beginning of this year. And then just the last couple of years, um, just to get back into the mode of just make a thing, get it out there. Yeah. Roll into the office. Um, and then if, if at, you know, 2 PM, you're like, I need a break and I want to go flex it off at the gym. Mm-hmm. Then you just go do go that. Go do that. Um, and so it was. It was super. It was super nice. It was a wonderful. It was good. Wonderful weekend. And uh, and we also to this week to our podcast listeners, we're giving an exclusive about this game, mm-hmm. which is that we know what it's called. Yeah. It's called Levelhead. Yeah, we have known actually. But. We've known, but we wanted to make sure that we could actually call it that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's called Levelhead. One word. Uh, it's kind of like when you call someone a gearhead or something else, right? Yeah, so we you thought it, we thought it was a fun it thing because you know you got to have a level head if you're going to be playing through a skill based, difficult sort of platforming game, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but also, if you like building levels, then it could be said that you are a level head, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, yeah, it's works pretty damn well. Yeah. I think it took us about forty five minutes of, of sort of throwing phrases and ideas out there to find that, um, and then the the consideration and the reason that we wait a while to actually give a name is just because of making sure that all of our legal bases are covered. It's like we ran into that problem with Ruckus a while back. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. Where, you know, we talked about it in advance and then turns out that name is taken. Um, yep. So it's always something to be careful of. And and as time passes, because the games industry is getting more and more crowded, name good names for games are harder to come by. Yeah, it's crazy. Because uh, even if somebody has made a game six years ago, put it up on iOS for free and it got two downloads. Mm-hmm. Uh, they still have a, a legal claim to that name and you can't even use that name on that platform because it's reserved for that game. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and we actually have had that experience as well yep. where we put a game up, somebody with a five-year-old game with under five downloads uh, issued a takedown request and we had yep. to pull the other game. <laughs> so yep. it does happen. Um, and so let's talk about the jam. Sam, hmm. what did you do so the past week so i did uh so basically what happened the past week was on on thursday last week we had a, a really good sort of long form discussion uh between the three of us about just kind of where we're at and um in particular what the studio is looking like with all the changes from the past couple of weeks and and where that puts us and so uh, for me it was this big question where it was like okay you know i feel like my art skills have essentially degraded because i haven't really been doing art in the last year um and but also looking at this new platformer project, we have this opportunity then to essentially, you know, have a, a fresh project that isn't a monster of a thing to build those skills with. And so a big part of it came down to realizing that what I had sort of accidentally done was gotten just 100% into production mode on stuff. And we've talked before about like the learning zone versus the, you know, uh, production zone. 
Well, and, and I'll also consider the the mental framework that we've been in historically for every other game project. Um, either we've done jams where nothing matters. We just need an asset, mm-hmm. right? We need a character. All right, there's a character. It took eight minutes. It's done. Move on, right? right? Um, when it was the early days in Towel Fight and Quadrupus, you know, your your capacity to to deliver art was still developing. Mm-hmm. And so just whatever came out was what we had. Right. And then on top of that, we had no money and we needed to get stuff out literally as quickly as possible. And so, so it was, it was definitely only what we had. Yeah. Right. So I, mean, I think the only way to approach it in that sense is fairly thoughtlessly, right. which is just like, just get your hands moving and make the art right. and do it. And so uh, what I did this weekend was I, uh, we have a few, we had a few uh, art assets in place that I'd already made from the, the previous weeks as well as some environments. And so the goal was to tackle some aspect of this that uh, would actually require me to learn things while I was building them. Uh-huh. Yep. A big part of this came from, you know, over the last two years, I've watched Adam and Seth both uh, essentially rapidly skill up in their primary disciplines, right? And a big part of that came from um, them taking the time to do a bunch of refactoring stuff to occasionally, you know, look out at new tutorials or whatever else that people are putting out about how to do a particular thing or, or say, maybe if I built a system that did this, then that would enable this new thing or right. whatever. And so a big part of it was that learning was essentially actually built into the work. Whereas the way I've been approaching the art has traditionally been that I just work on it at work. And then any extra time that I could possibly get sort of in the evenings or weekends that also wasn't taken up with the, all of the other stuff that I need to do for the studio, which generally took precedent because I was already doing the work um, would be given to, you know, like, doing a little bit of drawing practice or something like that. And so what I did over the weekend then was instead of separating those two things out, was just integrate them together. So uh, when I went to start working on some new, these like leafy green tiles that we need for the game, um, I looked at the old one, which looked like a steaming garbage pile. And you know, almost literally, li- almost of. literally. <laughs> and uh, I just asked the question, okay, how, how does someone who, knows how to do this, actually approach this. And so Somewhat, I found like a, an, expert, an expert, you could say. Uh-huh. And so <laughs> basically what I did was each day that I would find somewhere between five and six tutorials from people and then do them before doing whatever the asset was that I needed to do. So you, it's triangulating the approach. Mm-hmm. So you can see all these different ways of making leaves or something right. instead of just going leaves are green. They are also shapes. Mm-hmm. I will make green shapes. <laughs> and so, uh, so it was actually really funny because I, I went from um, on Thursday, I had actually rebuilt the, the background for the, uh, the current environment and not, but not using, not quite using that sort of learned method. It was sort of, it was being slow and trying to think about it more, but not actually using a tutorial. Not using references. Not using reference training. So, uh, so what ended up happening then was the works that I made on starting on Friday or starting on Saturday morning. So Friday, basically I, was, I dreamed of, Bark and leaves, because that was the tutorials that you I spent was the entire day mm-hmm. staring at different bark. And, and leaves. I haven't had that in the, the programmers talk about this all the time where you, you try to go to bed after programming and your brain's still doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually haven't had that on the art side for a long time because I haven't been sort of. Well, you're doing, not thinking. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So when I went to bed well, on Friday, I was like, oh, I remember this. And so Saturday morning, woke up and banged out this super cool looking log. But again, it was a throwaway piece, just a tutorial thing. Um, and then over the course of the day, and then over the course of, of Sunday, cranked out a, like a big suite of these environmental assets using all these, uh, all these learnings from it. And so for me personally, it was a huge, like I felt great all weekend, super jazzed. Like I couldn't sleep like basically at all. Um, I was always having a hard time. I get home at like 1130 and I am tired, but I can't go to bed. Right. right? Cause you're physically tired, but mentally like your subconscious life. keeps churning on problems. Right. And so to me, it was really great. It was a, it was a tremendous uh, sort of return to form, I think, in terms of actually doing the art uh, as opposed to just sort of producing. Um, and yeah, I'm really looking forward to, to the rest of this week. And then frankly, just like this being the mode. So I built out, I did some thinking this morning about the actual formal process associated with this and then just sort of have, have built that, you know, wrote it out, built it out, and then I just have it. And so I just follow the rules of my, of my process and then hopefully really good stuff keeps coming out. I think it will. Yeah. It's been the a stupidly larger. The, sh- the shift between the leaves we had on the start of the day on Friday and the leaves we have in the game now is it's frankly insane. hilarious. I think there's a picture of it in the game dev. Yeah. We posted Discord. it in our discord, uh, yeah. which is at discord.gg slash bscotch. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a, it's a marked improvement. I want it to be the case that when someone plays this game, they're like, oh, did you guys contract the artwork? 
Because it just or, looks so much better. Yeah. Oh, who, who did the art? And I'll be like, I did it. And I'll be like, hey, <laughs> shut your mouth. But I think, I think to me, the interesting thing about this is it's, it highlights the difference between approaching your work as work and approaching it as a craft, as a craft or where you are sort of treating it as like a, a set of curious and interesting problems right. to solve. Right. Yeah. So instead of saying we need leaves, my job today is to produce leaves. Mm-hmm. Right. Because technically that's whatever that bar is, anything that you can render that technically resembles a leaf, you're done now. Right. right? Um, but if, if instead you say, my job is to make leaves. How do I make just the best fucking leaves? Right. And that's actually the framing I've been taking because yeah. I think that, that helps me get away from, weirdly, I don't have, a lot of artists have the perfectionist mindset where I think I have the opposite, which would be the engineering mindset, which is like, it's a functional it is a leaf. Piece. It is functional. Will the player or look at go? that and feel like it could be a leaf? Right. <laughs> good enough. <laughs> then it's good enough. Yeah. And I think there was, it was a few times too where I was, you know, I'd be working through a tutorial and then I'd be like, do I actually know how to shade things? Really? And so I went and that sort of shot me off onto like an hour and a half of, again, like reading through some, some articles people put together, watching a video or two, and then actually trying it out. And I found a new technique to do it that makes me feel like I have mastered color in like a three hour all window of a sudden. <laughs> because I'm just not picking stupid fucking colors. Well, anymore. And and like, yeah, it reminds me, yeah, it reminds me hard. of that time when we were, fir- when we were very first getting started and we had that debate about the color of the sky. Mm-hmm. Because Sam kept saying the sun is up there, so obviously the sky gets brighter as you go up. One would, and down toward the horizon, it's dark. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "No, nah, man, because there's more air down toward the horizon <laughs> to catch the light, mm-hmm. and up there is the void of space. So yeah, the sun is In up there." In my defense, though, also a huge fireball. You know, there's a huge fireball. Yeah, it's, hard, it's hard to know what's a more powerful yeah, space right. or fireballs. Right. Who knows? There's just a lot more space. You know? <laughs> Apparently. So, <laughs> so we had this debate and I was like, just open the window and look. And you're like, my God, <laughs> it is brighter down toward the horizon. Well, this, is, this is the joke with artists about, about always just using a reference. So always, even if you just, even if you know, you think you know what something looks thing, like, just go look at just like a minute, just go look at one because usually you'll realize like, Oh, I did not. No, that was actually. <laughs> so I was making bark for the game, for example. And I've actually, I've never actually drawn bark before. So we have the log trees in Crashlands. You're about the closest to it, but they're sort of like, they're almost like already made logs, right? Like barkless. And so my definition of wood from like an art perspective is it's a brown thing. And then you With have swirlies a bunch of it. swirlies that have a one directional, like they go in one, in one direction, right? Not just lines all over the place, but sort of a grain that goes with it. And then I looked at some bark. And I was like, I could render this bark instead of rendering those weird lines and it will look more like a tree because mm-hmm. it's actually what trees look like. Yeah. Right. <laughs> not what processed wood. Look like. right. the, the, the trees don't look like boards. Yeah. They look like. And then I was like, holy <laughs> shit. Because they got bark on them. Because they got that yeah. bark. And, yeah. so then I, and then I did a little tutorial and someone put together where you just draw like, it was a tree stump or it was a log, but with bark on it from like a pine tree. And then I used that as the basis for the how I ended up approaching the, the trees in our game. So now, so what this led to though, and this is the thing I'm the most excited about is how this translates into level head. Mm-hmm. So level head, it's a game about building your own levels and then playing them and then sharing yeah. them with people. And uh, one of the things that we kept coming back to is like, how do we get, how do we make these levels just look really good? And uh, Sam was working on the leaf tiles and he just happened to make a configuration in Inkscape of leaf tiles that were sort of like a cluster of tiles within a single column of tiles poking out from the bottom. And it was kind of weird because it was shaped like a tree, mm-hmm. right? So it sort of had a trunk and then a, a shape at the top. But the trunk of the tree was also just leaves because all we had was leaf tiles. And I was like, what if, what if that trunk shape actually was a trunk? And so then when you were building stuff in the level... Anytime you had a, you know, a single column of, of uh, tiles going vertically, then they would just become tree trunks. Mm-hmm. So then, and then we did the same thing with sideways tiles. Um, and then we added little intersection points and stuff so that basically as you build the level, things just now turn into branches and tree trunks and knots and curves and stuff like that. Um, so the level, we're, we're calling it a context aware tiling system where you just, you just grab the terrain tool and you just start, you know, finger painting like you would in build mode in Crashlands. 
And then just these trees and branches emerge. Yeah. It's fucking awesome. It feels, it feels really cool to build with. Yep. So uh, that's pretty damn exciting. Uh, And then otherwise my big jam thing was working on the path editor for, for level head because we want to have, we want to have the ability to have things moving around in the game. Uh, So if you want to have, for example, uh, like an elevator that goes up and down, but then only starts moving when a switch is pressed mm-hmm. or whatever. And you want to, mm-hmm. you want to configure how it moves or, you know, there's those levels, um, in classic platformers where there's a certain object in the level that's just always moving. You got to ride it and you got to jump on it and, you know, sloth yep. cycling style. Mm-hmm. Or, you have um, to, or you have to time something just right. So you can catch a coin mm-hmm. off of some jump of a moving platform or whatever. Yeah. So we want to do all that stuff. And also the Donkey Kong style, Barrel, barrels. the moving barrels that, that blast you around. So we do have the barrels. We do have the barrels. And, and now so, and we want to be able to put them on paths. So then you can have barrels that, you know, yeah, that move around and you got to time it. Uh, and we to, have portals. We have portals, which we'll also be able to put on tracks. Mm-hmm. So there will be, what I'm, what I'm particularly looking forward to is the person who deviously puts the, the destination portal on a moving track and you just have no fucking idea where you're going to end up. Because <laughs> the portal you're teleporting to is just like whipping around all over the place. Right. And you just got to deal with it. You just got to get in there and hope for the best. <laughs> Actually, because you could put it, you could put it, off screen up high yep. and just have it moving back and forth so that you're never quite sure. You have no idea where you're going <laughs> to come out. Where you're going to come out. Uh, that's going to get real, mm-hmm. real interesting. Yeah, because, you know, we have the requirement that a level is, is beatable. Yep. Which, which just means that it has to have been beaten once. So you could technically make a level that does all this devious shit that, like, sometimes it randomly dumps you into a spike pit because you missed time to the portal or whatever. Yeah, it could be, it could be unbeatable, you know, 90% of the times that you play it. Because of yeah. statistics. Right. But then as long as it you can beat it, then, then it's, it's still fine. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, that's a thing. Uh, but the path editor is is very, I think it's it's going to be really intuitive and easy to use, but that does mean that it's very hard to build. Yes. Right? Because yep. making something that's intuitive means the game has to handle mm-hmm. most of the complex things. A lot of it's actually watching you rebuild the system repeatedly reminds me of when we were uh, dealing with Crashlands actually with the inputs because we were like, okay, we want to want this to be able to work really, really effectively on mobile. And that means you just get one, input. you get one touch. And so figuring out like doing that rebuilding and rebuilding, rebuilding that one input and how aware it was of everything else that was going on, where the player was coming from and stuff uh, is very similar actually this, to this exact process where yeah. it was like, okay, now we need to be able to do this with this thing. And then that means that everything's broken now. So yep. we got to refactor. It just is. Um, yeah. And so, so on top of that, aside from the editor for paths, it's going to be, that's done now. And I feel like it's in a good spot, but then the next challenge is actually having things moving on the path Mm -hmm. because we have this problem of some of the things that go on the path are going to be solid objects, um, like platforms or blocks or the elevator example. So if an elevator elevator goes through the ceiling, right? Because a path path is totally unrestricted. Mm -hmm. You can, you can have a path go through a wall. You can do whatever, right? So anything that's on that path will also go through that wall. So, uh, so if, yeah, if you're standing on that thing and it goes up, it goes up through a, a ceiling. Mm-hmm. Does it do crush you, you, do you even get, though it just is, doesn't even, yeah. yeah. What is do it you do? get crushed to death? Do you just get pushed downward through it? Do you Does plop it out stop? the side? Do you, yeah, do you squeeze out the side like a bar of soap? <laughs> like what, what do you do, right? Because <clears throat> then the question of what if, if our solution is, we'll squeeze the player out to the side. Well, what happens if you put the elevator in a column, mm-hmm. right, no where side. there are no sides to squeeze out of? Then what? Then it what? sounds like we should just kill people. That's a, yeah, that's the obvious, that's easy solution. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what just, it is fun, every time we hit these problems and we think through these are platformers that were that have these kinds of mechanics, and that is basically you just die. If, you, if there's yep. a possibility that you're kind of getting crushed a little bit, then you just die yep. now. Yeah. And you can see why, because, yeah, there's a thousand things you could do, but- all of them create enormous numbers of edge mm-hmm. cases. So yeah, and, well and of course, not. there's the fun part there, which is what that really means is uh, the character basically just says, is it possible for me to be where I am, mm-hmm. right? Because I'm there yeah, now. Just right now. Right? I'm there now. Is this, is this okay, right? And if not, then you just die. But, <laughs> but what that, which is kind of like how life works. It is kind right? of how life works. Yep. You're like, I'm at the bottom of the ocean. Is this possible for me to be here right now? Nope. No? Okay, I'm dying I'm dead. Um <laughs> So that's how that works. But then there's, then there's that extra layer of sensitivity that gets introduced, which is if that's how that works, then you have to guarantee that the only scenario where mm-hmm. a player will end up somewhere that they shouldn't be 
is if they get squeezed there by a moving object. Because mm-hmm. yep. it could be that you get shot out of a barrel super fast. And you just bump game, into something or The whatever. game for a moment thinks that you're inside of a wall that you just hit because mm-hmm. you're going too damn fast. Right. So everything else has to be absolutely perfect. So I guess it probably has to... It's, but it, the question isn't as simple as just, can I be here? It's, did I can get, I be here? And then... How did I get if, here? If I can't, <laughs> no, not even that. Just if I can't, is there somewhere real close by that I could be instead? That right. would be fine. Right. And if so, the answer to that is yes, then you're probably not dead. Yeah. And, the, and they, the other stuff, um, so yeah. So basically, the movement system has to be kind of re-engineered to accommodate these all these moving mm-hmm. pieces. Um, and then there's there's other interesting stuff that you don't think about a lot in in platformers that we still need to refine, which is things like in Mario, if you jump, if you're like inside of a little nook little mm-hmm. one block hole in the wall or something, you can jump out of there very easily. Even though technically there's no point at which you are standing on the ground and have open air above you, mm-hmm. right? Because sort of like you shape Yeah, out and so somehow. when you jump out, the game actually just sort of says close enough and it kind of just jiggles you around mm-hmm. the lip of the cliff above you. Mm-hmm. And so, so you need to kind of build in these, I, I just call them forgiveness mechanics, where when the player is trying to jump over something or whatever, then you should sort of give them the benefit of the doubt and kind of wiggle their player around it, uh, wiggle their character around it. So uh, so we would do that same thing with crushing mechanics or whatever. Yep. Somebody gets squeezed and then we do a little bit of wiggling and be like, can I, can I wiggle my way out of this, <laughs> out of this crushing situation? And right. if not, then you explode. So, yeah, so it's all very interesting, very challenging stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just that's just the way platformers kind of have to be because they're all about precision movement yep. and stuff, yeah. um, which we've never actually done before. All of our games, like in Quadrupus Rampage, we don't really use collisions. We just do distance checks from I things. think it's because of that one, that first week you spent in game dev trying just not to get your character to fall through the ground. It's yeah. like scarred you emotionally. I was like, this, this is just too much. Put this away for five <laughs> years, we'll come back. We'll come back to this. Yeah, because it actually is the case that the first game I ever tried to make and that I worked on for about a year was a platformer. Turns um, out they're really hard if you're doing them well. It was not a good one. Right. Yeah. So, which hopefully Levelhead turns out to have good mm-hmm. gameplay. Uh, it's already feeling pretty but good. Yeah, it feels pretty good. But already. I think we just need to get this that little extra a few things. Yeah, I, th- I think it's easy to get the first ninety percent mm-hmm. of a platformer, and that last ten percent of like those really fine forgiveness mechanics is what makes it good. True facts. So, um, so that's what we've been doing for the past week. Uh, and that's I think all we have for news, right? Yeah. yeah. So let's get on to some questions. These questions come from our players over at podcast.bscotch.net. So if you'd like to get your question on next week's episode. Or maybe even the next week's episode. Mm. Head on over there, put some stuff in the text box. First question comes from Map5597. You guys have been replacing butterscotch shenanigans with other words in your emails. Mm. What are your favorites you've come up with so far? Blinker sketch shed nanograms, banana scorch slap some cans. <laughs> that was good. Others? <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do. I don't know why, but just randomly after typing that word enough, you just, it becomes, you know, gobbledygook, I think is the yeah, term. you just kind of embrace the idea that it's impossible to spell. Yep. You know. So I just started slam jamming those together for the, the uh, end of the newsletter. Slam jamigans. Slam jamigans. Maybe that'll be the right. <laughs> I do, I do like butter block chain anigans. <laughs> yep. that, is, that, is, that is something that we have, something that we've sort of taken to doing as a joke is anytime we have some new thing. We just take the word butterscotch shenanigans and we repurpose it. it. So we made an animation engine that we called the Butter Smooth Shenanimator. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that's that's pretty good. Yep. Yep. We had the Butter Blockchainanigans. Well, I'm really excited. When we rebranded to a blockchain company. Yeah, I'm yep. really excited about Rumpus as an extension of our overall branding strategy. Yeah. The joke is that it's it's the back end of Butter I think I think its tagline <laughs> should just be, Rumpus is our back end. Yeah. That should just be it. So- Everywhere you see Rumpus, if you see its tagline. Well, but we need to brand the tagline. So it needs to say Rumpus, the powerful back end of Butterscotch shenanigans. The well flexed, the flexing, the (laughs) salubrious. It should say Rumpus. We've got some good haunches. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. On our back. (laughs) What's a haunch? Is that your back or your leg? Uh, I think it's a. Is it a butt? I think it's a. It's like a leg butt. Yeah, leg butt. It's like leg butt zone. area, leg butt zone. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's where like the, the hammed glute crease yeah. situation. Is haunch a medical term or a butchering term? Is Aren't that- they kind of the same thing? <laughs> the they are basically. The same. I know there's some overlap. I'm pretty sure a doctor isn't like, well, you've got an issue with your bacon. You, you know, could. we got it. <laughs> 
but your your loins you could have uh-huh. an issue with your well no that's your groin no your loin is your back is side it? back I thought loin is what it like is on groin. a pig no groin is groin loin is something else I'm pretty sure <laughs> it's on your leg so again I, I think butchering and medicine are somehow different from each other I'm butcher not quite, scotch shenan doc I don't know yeah. you know where, where, where <laughs> you butcher scotch shenanigan meat. <laughs> Uh, all right, next question comes from Gams. Shenanigans. Yeah. <laughs> I was like that. We had a, for a while, we had a Discord channel in our internal Discord server that for just chatting about stuff and hanging out. And it was called Shehangagabs. <laughs> it was so hard to, <laughs> to read. Shehangagabs. It's for hanging and gabbing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Anyway, uh, next question <laughs> comes from Kulabula, who says, Are you not afraid of poison gummy bears? A psycho from the internet might mail poison food. Do you eat everything strangers give you? First of all, I could definitely fight at least like three bo- poison gummy bears. Yeah. You know, I'm not afraid. Like of they're them. very small. Yeah. They're very it's weak. like a poison arrow frog. They spend no yeah, time. You just juggle them really fast yeah. and they can't hurt you. Yep. Yeah. It's yeah. fine. Yeah. They're very tiny. So uh, small amounts, I feel I, like I can handle. Well, it depends on know? how fast they're moving. Now, if a poison gummy bear is fired from a, a cannon, mm-hmm. a very tiny cannon, also known as a gun, I guess, <laughs> uh, that's going yes. to hurt. It is going to hurt, oh, but is it? But how badly, though? Is it just going to splash? It's probably yeah. like a paintball, you know? So if it hits, you in, the, very fast, if it hits you in the eye, now, f- see, Sam has no eye protection because he's got LASIK now. But so I do have laser eyes now. That's true. So <laughs> I can just blast it out of the air. Yeah. So I guess. But can you flavor blast it out of the air? <laughs> If only these aren't flavor lasers. I think, I think getting <laughs> shot out of I think getting shot by a poisoned gummy bear out of a gun that is being flavor blasted. That's true. Yeah. If you get well, especially because <laughs> coming out of that kind of velocity, because of course there's going to be some inertia problems there because a the gummy bear is so you know so rubbery and gooey. Yeah. It'd probably actually just turn into a liquid. Well, that's what I was going to say. Actually, I, I think you it's because of the acceleration. Because yeah. like when you fire a bullet. It goes you know, from zero goes from to real zero fast. to real fast, real fast. Exactly. Right. Yep. So, uh, so you can't actually fire a gummy bear from a, a gun. You have to fire it from a rail gun. That's true. Right. Yeah. Which, which got to have time. You got to give it some time so it has a slower acceleration. Yeah. So you probably need some kind of an apparatus that's very some, long. You need magnetic gummy bears. So probably you would need to mount this thing on like a Humvee with a top mounted uh, turret yep. that mm-hmm. has a very long barrel to give the gummy bear. Time. Mm-hmm. You'd you probably need to use the, the sort of multivitamin gummies, you know, because they have a lot of iron in them. Mm-hmm. So that way yeah. you get that magnetic. Right. Or you could put them in a magnetic casing sort of a thing. Yeah. But that, that's kind of cheating, though, because now it's an actual bullet. Yeah, but there is a gummy bear in there. That's which, true. <laughs> so, that was the only uh, requirement. So I think, I think, long story short, not really afraid of poison gummy bears, no. except for under the scenario that they're fired out of a rail gun. Yeah. Yeah, and and <laughs> encased in metal. Encased in metal. Also, yeah. aren't those basically poisonous anyways? Because don't they just like clear your bowels out, you know? Depending no, that's the, the sugar-free sugar ones. Free ones. Mm. Are you talking about rail guns or gummy bears? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, both, both would do the trick. That Different they methods. Would. Different that methods. They would. <laughs> yeah, there's these, uh, yeah, I'm only afraid of sugar-free gummy bears, which are poison. They are poison, yeah. Uh, there's this, if you, want, if, you were in, if you want a good time, just go to Amazon <laughs> and look up the Haribo... Sugar-free uh-huh. gummy bears. Just read the reviews. The reviews. Oh man, they're the, just lax. The, the tales of horror that have come from these. I love how every so often there's a p- particular product that its review section becomes a competition to write review, like a, the most yeah. incredible. There are tens of thousands of reviews of they're people hilarious. just telling the stories of how they ate a single one of these gummy bears and then tried to go about their day, and then shit hits ruined. the fan. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question comes from Warhaft. Not divulging your darkest secret. What skills did the three of you use to create Bscotch ID? Skills meaning languages, tech, frameworks, and other badassery. Uh, most, so the most important skill is not worrying about the fact that I have no idea what I'm doing. Mm. Your most important skill is arrogance and confidence yeah. sort of mixed together. What even, it actually is not even arrogance because arrogance implies that you think you know better, right? Well, that's that you true. Can do this. It's more like a Zen state. It's more it's, of a it's, confident it's, Buddhism. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, so there's, there's a, there's a, <laughs> there's a line from, from the, from a book that I was reading recently about how one of the things that we tend to call brave is when somebody goes out and takes a risk, you know, and they, and they mm. do something that, that clearly is not a wise move. Um, but he made the point that actually, 
probably almost all the time that that's happening, it's because people don't understand the risks that they're taking. Correct. Right. Well, that's the joke with anybody who, you know, five years like us into having a business. They're like, would you recommend other people to do this? And the answer usually is no. Because yeah. I, I learned. It's very hard. It's very hard. Well, but also you <laughs> discovered how, how unlikely it was for you to have succeeded Correct. for five years. Right. And how most of it, there's, there's an enormous fraction of it is luck based and mm-hmm. so on. Um, and so I think in, in the same, for this, in the same way that starting a company requires you just to not be aware of what you have just stepped into, uh, making Scotch ID was the same sort of a sort of scenario. Cause I, I literally said, I don't know any web development. I'll go learn things that are web things and then make this. Mm-hmm. And so that was, if I hadn't, if I hadn't realized how bad of an idea that was, then, you know, I mean, if I had realized that I wouldn't have done it, right. And it was a bad idea, but because I didn't know that, then it was fine. And it worked well, out. Here's the interesting point about it. It's like this idea of it being a bad idea is weird, right? Because yeah. Bad idea. Worked. And that it was very risky. Yeah, but it worked. Yep. So then it's fine. You got the job done. Yeah. It yeah. Was a ideas, leaf shaped. ideas exist on a spectrum yeah. of goodness to badness, mm-hmm. you know, and really the out, we always judge them by the outcome right. sort of in retrospect. But, but I think it's actually true for most of the stuff that we've done in the studio is the only reason we did it was because we didn't, we, we weren't even able to know what other people were saying about that thing. Cause they would have told us that it was a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we wouldn't have listened. And well, and maybe we would have though, cause we have listened to some things that people told us were a bad idea and we probably shouldn't have. Yeah. That's true. But That's there, true. Was, there was a blissful unawareness period where we knew so little, we couldn't even ask questions about, you know, from people. So you just do stuff. So you just have to go do stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the perfect, like that blissful ignorance phase is what you need to just go do a thing. That is probably a bad idea because it's probably not going to work. But if right. it does, then it's really cool. Um, so this reminds me of, I was just reading, uh, for some reason I was looking at, I was, I was looking at NVIDIA just as a company because I'm really curious about what's happening to them with all of this crazy mm. cryptocurrency shit, right? Because like graphics cards selling like hotcakes. Flying off the shelves. They cost <laughs> thousands of dollars now, even though they're the same as they've been. You know, they're just, they're always improving slightly, but they're just, demand has gone up. So I was like, I wonder how NVIDIA is doing these days. And the first article I saw was not about NVIDIA, but actually about some hedge fund manager who mm. sold his NVIDIA stock the other day. And there was a big, there was a big hubbub about this because this guy, this Hedge fund guy is, he has consistently outperformed the market for 10 years, <laughs> right? And they were like, for example, last year in 2017, you know, the stock market went up by 20.8%. And this guy got a 21% return on his stock, right? <laughs> God. And so I was reading this article and I was like, this is, this is that exact thing, which mm-hmm. is survivorship bias, mm-hmm. right? So there are millions of hedge fund managers. Mm-hmm. One of them. This is a monkey typewriter situation. Yeah, one of them will he's, have outperformed the market for yep. 10 years in a row, just statistically. The problem is because he's a human, that means he's like, I must be able to do this yep, on right. purpose. And because everybody else is humans, everybody else agrees. They're like, wow, you must be able to do this. So now, so now <laughs> this guy, this guy sells his stock in a company that has never had a better opportunity in the market to make shitloads of money. And his reasoning was, well, I just, I have a lot of stock in that company and I think I should have less, right? Mm -hmm. So, and everybody's like, I don't get it, but he has outperformed the market for 10 (laughs) 10 years in a row. So this is the point, which is you're not going to hear about all the other uh, hedge fund managers who haven't done so well or who have just done the same as the market, who maybe also sold their NVIDIA stock or who bought some NVIDIA Mm -hmm. stock and maybe they'll do better than this guy next year just randomly because that's how the market works right uh so you just always got to be careful when when thinking about hearing success stories and stuff like that because mm-hmm. survivorship bias it's a real thing but on nuts and bolts level what programming languages do you use now uh so old school bschrd is mysql php and badness like that mm-hmm. it's that combination mm-hmm. um, the new one badness is that that's that that's new, that's that new hip language that all the kids are using mm-hmm. actually it's, it's sort of your starter language your you starter know? language yeah. It's kind of like uh, like Doctor Scheme. I don't know if you remember that from back in. Oh the, yeah, I remember Doctor Programming. Scheme. Yeah, yeah. some little wacky, weird educational programming language. But anyway, uh, so I remember yeah. being really confused about it. Just not not about how to use it, but just that I was using it because yes, I had never was, heard of it before. Yep. And every programmer that I talked to had no fucking idea what it was. Yep. And we were supposed and to Python <laughs> existed and is yeah. the better starter language. So 
Who knows? I don't know. That's just life and education, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So that was, that was old school. um, He's got your D and, uh, and rumpus now um, to replace it is, is a much more modern stack. So I'm going full JavaScript because that's where the future is. So JavaScript everywhere. So I'm using MongoDB as a database, which is really cool. So if you're into databases and you've only been using MySQL, just, you know, go look into some, go look into some Mongo. It's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then node, which is just JavaScript again, only now it's on the server, which is also really cool. Uh, and then Docker, so I can have fake servers and have, you know, infinite robots doing my bidding. So that's pretty cool. And that's then, the Docker is where they pull their ships in correct. to unload. They do have a very cute little uh, logo, which is a, a little whale with a bunch of containers on its head. So it's mm. pretty nice. What does it mean? I don't know. What does the whale have to do with I'm it? I'm not 100% <laughs> sure, <laughs> but it's very cute. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then view.js as the front end um front end thing that to, for the end you know there's the, the part that the person looks it's not at. the rumpus but it's the the other end yeah well yeah it's, it's for the end it's for the end user <laughs> on, I the guess, front. on the yeah. front end the front end user i guess yeah so if if our web tech is sort of an you know a creature that has two ends <laughs> that has one is ends. its rumpus one is the rumpus yeah. and then the other end is, is the front end right mm-hmm. yeah but rumpus is like huge is yeah. enormous and powerful. Very powerful. Yeah, it's like an iceberg, you know? You can't <laughs> tell what's there. And then and the, it's the part that pokes out is a tiny little face. Yeah. Just stick it up out of the water, yep. right. blinking. That's the front end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's the second. I mean, it is the wacky thing about web development is you don't get to just go make a website. You know, you can't just, you can't just learn a language, make a website, mm-hmm. and then that's kind of the end of the story. Uh, you have to, because it's, it's mostly actually about managing machines. Right. And so you have to have all these different layers of stuff that are all talking to each other because also most of the, or a, large, a lot of the work that's happening isn't even happening on your computer. Mm-hmm. It's happening on somebody else's fucking computer, you know? So, so building that relationship between, and you, you don't even know what they have. No. And you they can't, might not you have can't a trust mouse. anything. Yeah. They, yeah. They might be on mobile. They might be on iOS or Android. Yep. They might be using Microsoft edge or, or IE six. Yeah. Or something horrible. Yeah, and and so the the tech that's available, so you 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 control a very small subset, actually a reasonably sized subset of of your of your code and and what the thing actually does, but a stupidly large fraction of all the stuff that's happening is not controlled by you at all, and so it's all this building of trying to predict and understand how the whole ecosystem of of you know browsers and other things work, um, trying to understand how these different technologies work as people are coming out with new ones every year. Well, it's on top of the fact that it takes like five languages to do it. Yeah, that's exactly it. And that's why I opted for the full JavaScript stack, because Mm -hmm. even though it still is a whole bunch of different things, uh, at least they all have the same common language so Mm -hmm. that I can learn one common language and then um, kind of the variations. So this this does bring us to the next question, which is from Rampandipus, who says, Adam said in a previous podcast that he's using different tools for coding Bscotch ID 2, which is now Rumpus, yes. uh, than Bscotch ID 1. Why the change, and has it been worth it so far? Uh, so, yeah, so that comes from, in part, because of that whole stack problem, where previously I was using MySQL, PHP, and of course the front-end web stuff, so I was using jQuery and that sort of thing. But that's now complete, just a whole bunch of completely separate things. They have no coherent relationship to each other. Uh, because they are, they're so frequently used together, then people have made kind of nice things that link them together, but... But it's very awkward and cumbersome and just not very pleasant. Um, and and then further, it's kind of hard to replicate what you have out in the world in development. Um, and uh, and it's, so things were basically, they, they were becoming harder and harder to maintain and, and make interesting, especially with like MySQL, making a change to that database type is a huge pain in the ass because you have to specify the type and everything has to be the same. And there's no sparse data and all this other stuff. Uh, and so I just needed to get away from all of that to a thing where it could be the complete wild west where I wouldn't have to know anything ahead of time. I could just start programming. And if I made a change to how my data was structured, it would just, it's just fine. It would just be changed now. You know, I wouldn't have so to. So basically go. it was kind of for the lay person, it was very rigid and hard to make changes and work with. Yep. Now it's very flexible. It's very flexible. And, 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 and some I, might say beefy and beefy. So yeah. And, and I get yeah. that advantage and, and like, and using Docker is really cool. So anybody, anybody out there doing in development of any sort, but especially web dev, uh, if you learn Docker, that is very helpful. So do that. So do that. Because Sam. Okay. That allows you. Because so. <laughs> Docker is basically making little fake computers, right? But you make them on your own computer. So you can make a little fake computer on your computer that mimics exactly what your server is going to look like. And so you can do all of your development and do all of your testing 
on these little fake machines. And then you can take that same so fake machine. So you basically make your own tiny internet. Yeah, you make, that's exactly what you do. You make your own tiny <laughs> internet, and then you can take that whole tiny internet that you've just made and put it on a server somewhere. And so now you don't have to care about whether you've set up all your networking properly or any of that kind of stuff. You just you just take what you made and you just, you just, just put, put it over it there. there. You put it over there on yeah. a whale, on a whale's back. Yeah, and now the whale just a- swims across the tubes, mm-hmm. you know, and he just... His containers fall off of his back, and then there you go. And then you scoop them up with your internet boats. Exactly. Duh. Perfect. Yep. Simple. All right, next question comes from I Am Cade. What is each of your favorite memories from when you guys were kids? Ooh. This was digging deep. I don't really remember anything. Adam has a, yeah, a, a notoriously not bad memory. You probably remember some just stuff. Not, um, just not one. Just I don't have one. Don't have one. Yeah. A memory. Yep. I remember, I'll just pull a random one out. Pull out a rando. I remember there's these huge ant mounds that were oh, yeah. in the prairie Forgot about that. next to the house. And we would go out there with just some honey. And you just put some honey on the top of the mound. And then they just swarm and on then, it. And yeah, like one of them will get some and you're like, oh, that's cool. And then within like 30 seconds, just the whole hive like comes out and just takes all the honey and leaves. And it's yeah. real freaky. Yeah, I remember because we, we first grew up... Uh, as very young kids in a bigger city in Iowa. Well, I mean, a tiny, tiny town by world standards. Mm-hmm. By Iowa standards, it was fucking huge. It's basically like, it yep. was like New York City mm-hmm. sized. Uh, it's what everybody outside of the Midwest uses when they refer to the middle of nowhere. Right. Mm-hmm. As I say, it's the capital Des Moines, of Iowa. Iowa. Yeah, yeah, the capital of the Iowa. Yeah. Um, and I remember seeing ant, ant hills, which would be these little tiny little, little shitty sidewalk little, little piles of sand mm-hmm. you know nothing. like the size of a quarter just sitting mm-hmm. there like a little sand pile and three or four ants walking around then you go out into the the real stuff out into the prairie mm-hmm. you know in the wilderness and these ant hills they're like a foot tall mm-hmm. and, and four wide like four feet in diameter oh, yeah the big ones yeah. yeah and you're like is this a is this like just some kind of a like a terrain piece mm-hmm. no it's, it was constructed by ants <laughs> it is fucking huge and there's a trillion of them mm-hmm. in there and if you yeah. broke it open because we did that sometimes you just go hit it with a shovel or something be like what's in there and you just whack it with <laughs> a shovel turns out many ants. turns out just a shitload of ants yeah and then they just like oh and then they just fix it because yeah. there's a trillion of them and they're like yeah this will take a minute <laughs> and they just rebuild it's it real weird yeah remember that um chopping thistles the heads off of thistles with a machete yeah, fun. <laughs> good time. <laughs> yeah, uh, we had to. You had to wear a helmet, a racing helmet, when you were riding the lawnmower. We, we, we right, because ride. sometimes it was, it was a riding lawnmower. Yeah, so some, <laughs> sometimes you would be mowing and you'd hit a like a, a walnut, well, you, and it would it would <laughs> fling out of the lawnmower like a bullet mm-hmm. and bounce off a tree and hit you in the face. Yeah. <laughs> The worst one was the pine cones because you go pine around, cones. you just get, get up close. You know, there was a lot of tree. a lot of dangerous debris. Yep, uh, all that. Yeah, and also, so we we have a we come from a farm background, mm-hmm. so our family on both sides are farmers. So they have lots of heavy equipment uh, that they then, of course, attach children to for fun. Because it's awesome. Because that's what you do. Yep. on farms. So we we would go visit uh, visit the family, and they would have. Uh, four wheelers, you know, eight all terrain mm-hmm. vehicles, and then they would take a rope, tie it to the back, mm-hmm. get one of those saucer sleds, a metal saucer, a metal one, because mm-hmm. yep. you know if it hits you, you want it to just you really, feel you want to feel it. <laughs> so you, then they just throw like a four year old on there, and be like, just hang on, and then, <laughs> and then they just start real, like whipping, dry, around. whipping around on the four wheeler out in the middle of a cornfield. Even did it on it with a truck. So no, did it with a truck, yeah, and of course, because you have to go to places where the four wheeler oh. couldn't get to as well, you know, because it was like really, really bumpy. <laughs> yeah, and they would do it on a, you know, in the middle of a cornfield, so yeah, so it's technically safe. But then, of course, there's these that corn rock stumps. hard stumps, <laughs> stumps of corn sticking up out of the ground blades. to impale yeah. yourself on. I think, and now you're talking about these corn stalks. I remember going out to a friend's house, I think in like sixth grade, and he lived next to uh, a cornfield because we're in Iowa. And we went yeah, out. Everybody there. lived next to a everyone lived next. So we go <laughs> and we go out there, and it was like seven or eight of us. And we just start. You rip those out of the ground, right? So it's a. It basically is a stock with like a handle. So you just rip it out of the ground, and then it's got this heavy chunk of dirt on the end, mm-hmm. like a club, like a club. So we were hitting each other with them first, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> you like you do. do. <laughs> and then someone threw one, 
And then it became, and they're like really fun to throw because it's got this really it's heavy kinda, top. It's kind of like those Nerf footballs, you know, yes. that have the tail on them. Yeah. Cause, yeah. yeah. They just don't scream, you but everybody really, else is screaming. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, so we're out there and just like hurling these essentially dirt clods dirt with like corn stalk in the end of it. That's about and as rural as possible. It's like, <laughs> yeah, we just spent the day throwing dirt clods. Yeah, at each you other. needed to have also been shotgunning beer to complete. <laughs> right. yeah. Well, we were, we were in sixth grade, so it wasn't quite there yet. Yeah. But yeah. I think it doesn't it, stop some people. It ended when. I think one of my friends got hit in, in the face with this dirt cloud. Yep, that's how it always ends. Yep. And he got he got mud just like in like in his eye. <laughs> like injected like up in his lid. And it was like really cold mud. And so it was just like stuck in there. Um and the person who threw it got a splinter. Like it happened, it was like the same instant, got like a like a sliver of corn stalk, just like it just it in their palm. And then uh his sister had to help us get it taken out and we had to wash his eyeball out. When we got there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, most, most of these sort awesome. of childhood stories start with a fun time and mm-hmm. end with an injury. Like that's yeah. kind of the, we also used to get, <laughs> we had our uh, pond, we go swimming in and then we put a dock out in the middle of it, floating dock. And then you dive down to the bottom and you pick up a bunch of this like really soft mud. It's very soft. It's very soft. Weird, very soft, weird. Mud. And then you could just like, you could paint with it. You could like cover yourself in it. <laughs> Covered in mud. Why? I don't know. But remember, I we lived was, in a rural. Yeah, that's what you do. We lived in rural. I can remember one of your guys' friends, uh, someone threw mud, hit someone in the eye. Again, yep. common story. And they got mud just like, <laughs> just in there. <laughs> in there. It gets in there. <laughs> it took them like a few hours to blink it out. Yeah. I got to say, you know, this. Is, I mean, I feel like this is probably true of most of most people is like most of their fond childhood memories Those. do somehow involve an injury. Yeah. Like somebody. I just think those are the ones you remember. Those are the ones you probably. remember because it was like something interesting happened. Something yeah. interesting happened. Yeah. I, I even remember one time we were, uh, we were skating on some ice mm-hmm. and then Adam had a hockey stick behind his head. <laughs> yeah. So he was kind of resting his arms over it and then tripped now, my, eyes, my, my arms were stuck. His arms were stuck, so he couldn't get his hands out <laughs> in front to stop himself, and he just face planted, split my lip open. I landed on the top of my head because I just kind of like fell. <laughs> you like over. Yeah, just, yeah. You got <laughs> yeah because you because you got your neck, you know, is yeah. braced. So good. But time, good I will times. say though that, that I learned a lot about how to think about physics and physics oh, yeah. from from that childhood, and so now. And my wife's always giving me shit because I'm always worried about weird things that to her are very weird to be worrying about, you know? And like, it's just like literally anything. Cause now I'm thinking, cause I'm just remembering all the things that we did where somebody got hurt or something Cut. caught on fire when it shouldn't have. Yep. And you only whatever. lived because you were a resilient child. Yeah. Right. Like <laughs> if that happens to you when you're 40, like if you have a hockey stick behind your head. Well, even you, now, like now I've got fucked up neck bones. Yeah. Now, you know, yeah, so I like. You could just be paralyzed from that, yeah. from that thing that happened that you just walked off when you were <laughs> yeah. 12, right? Well, I also could have been then, too. This is another survivorship bias problem. Right, right? that's true. Yeah, you don't you don't hear about those kids who fell over and then broke their neck because that, that was the end of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because right that's not a fond story that they can look back on. Yeah. Nope. Right? Yeah. So I just remember mom used to give me lucky charms in the morning before school, and I would go and sit by the, the couch and then very secretly and slowly only eat the marshmallows and then just dump the... <laughs> <laughs> Under the couch, and she did it under the couch. Oh, I, <laughs> I just, I just, yeah, I just remember the con, the confusing like moment, yeah, of of cleaning out the couch, and then just somehow, just there's like there's like eight boxes worth of Lucky Charms <laughs> just embedded in the cracks of the couch. It's a good time. Not a lot of not a lot of foresight kids have. <laughs> Got the job done at the time. Yeah. All right. Next question comes from Kula Bula, who says, do you think the podcast has brought the three of you even closer? P.S. I'm not talking about spatially. And has it ever? I knew, he knew. We he were knew. Go yeah, he knew it was going to happen. And has it ever gotten you in hot water with your wives? Mm. To the second question, not hot water per se. It has prompted some interesting discussion. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's been good. It's always been good. Um, yeah, it has. Yeah, so so that's been good. Uh, and then as far as bringing us together, I think the the reality is it's it's almost like talk therapy on the weekly because and this happened actually around uh, Crash Lane's launch. And anytime we when we've been going through just a really rough period because we're either you know, working our faces off or just shit just kind of shit's going sideways. It's this weirdly regular thing. Where you just you can always out. well yeah you can always count on Make having puns. to take a break yeah and just talk about stuff. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think it's important. So I think it has mm-hmm. in that way. And it, it gives us the opportunity to sort of bounce ideas off each other in a completely different context from work, which I think if we weren't doing this, we wouldn't talk about any of these things. Just a guarantee, basically. So, we would just move on. Yeah. It's a nice reflection time. It is. All right. Next question comes from Chalosis. 
How does the Bscotch crew avoid getting sad? Ooh, wow. I work at a (laughs) six-person studio. Uh, In the last months of development, we programmers fix tricky but boring bugs, and future finances seem unsteady. Do you have techniques to stay Mm. upbeat and engaged in your tasks? Mm. Okay, so there's a couple points there. One One is about the work, and the other is about sort of the feeling of uncertainty. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so to the first point, I think I've never, I've never felt like my, my programming work has been boring, mm-hmm. sort of it be tedious. There's often tedium, but, but my, I actually enjoy the tedium mm-hmm. as a, not, not as a constant. Like, right. I feel like if that was all I was doing was just like data entry or something, then that kind of sucks. But, um, but there is an advantage to doing the occasional tedious task, which is tedium to me is it's thoughtless, right? It's like, there's just a lot of things you got to do or something mm-hmm. and you just kind of work through them. Um, but I feel like that's a good break moment from solving the huge, big questions, right? And, but if it lasts long enough, it gives you a new problem to solve, which is how do I make this less tedious? How do I program my way out of this tedium? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. And so then it just introduces a new fun programming challenge you get to go take on. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think similarly to what we were talking about at the beginning of the episode about Sam's art approach, because mm-hmm. um, it was probably the case because you like what you were saying was yeah. the way you were approaching your art before it was just, you were kind of grinding through it, getting, yeah, it getting it out. Right? It wasn't enjoyable. Mm-hmm. But then once you said, how do I just do this real fucking good? Mm-hmm. Then it becomes an entirely new set of interesting problems. Right. Um, and so if you feel like, if you feel like your work is, is boring and you're a programmer, then you, you would just change your approach. Mm-hmm. Try stepping back and say, could I add some element of basically learning or discovery in the midst of this big chunk of work I have to yeah. do? And I, and I think that's, that's the difference of sort of taking full ownership over the work and letting the work own you versus letting the work own you. Yeah. So if you just say, this is the thing I need to do because it's on my list of to do's, I'm going to do it. You do it. And then you're done. Mm-hmm. Like that's one way to approach it. Another is uh, that there is no such thing as just like a task list. There are sort of overarching objectives and the tasks who gives a shit. Like those are just optional ways to go about getting the thing done that you need to get done sort mm-hmm. of in the bigger mm-hmm. picture. Um, and you should just be finding the best uh, the best and most interesting ways to solve mm-hmm. problems. Yeah. And also going back to the previous question about the podcast, um, as far as just general camaraderie and stuff, if there's, if you guys can take just like, you know, six people, it's enough. You can easily have a conversation that everyone's participating in. Um, just taking time weekly to just sit down and not, not to check in to be like, everybody dump your negative shit in here. Don't do that. Take a lunch um, Never dump your negative shit on anybody. Yeah, don't don't sort of don't get in the in the trenches and be like, oh my god, we're in a horrible situation. Everything's horrible. Um, mm-hmm. But try to have some some small chunk of time, whether it's a half hour or an hour, where everyone's together and you're just talking about sort of the interesting aspects of the work that you're doing, mm-hmm. as opposed to the negative aspects. And this is something you really have to watch, especially with with really analytical people, because sometimes they'll get overly wrapped up in you know critiquing or in sort of deconstructing a like their negativity in a way that seems like it's productive, but really it's sort of like a, it's sort of like an intellectualized form of complaining on the, on the larger scale. And so if someone's talking about their problems a lot, um, or in particular, if your team just has a lot of you know issues you guys are dealing with, then try to get together and, and reframe it to talk about the, the, not necessarily the positive aspects of it, but talk about it in a way that is not inherently negative, if that makes sense. Right. From a solutions perspective. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so then the other, the other question about, sort of future finances seeming unsteady, mm-hmm. possibly causing the morale in the studio to drop. Um, this is kind of an interesting, it's, it's an interesting sort of double-edged problem mm-hmm. because, you know, we had, a, we had a conversation quite a while back on the podcast about immortality and how it's dumb because the, the idea that you're going to die one day is it applies pressure to make sure that like, you got to get shit done now. Like, you got to set some goals and do things now. Cause you don't know when you're not going to have the option to do those things right. anymore. Right. And so, um, so we, you know, we've been in both experiences where, you know, prior to the launch of Crashlands, finances were always very random and sporadic and we just didn't really have any of them in a lot of cases. Um, and honestly, the, the feeling of, of working on stuff in that environment actually felt way better yeah. than, than afterwards. Mm-hmm. Um, because 
you know that if you do things well, then it's going to change everything, right? Once you're fine, then either you'll continue being fine or get worse, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, and there's also that kind of tendency to want to double down on the things that you've done that are doing well. And it, like, I think it's just get kind of weird, but, um, but I think the way to think about it is if you feel like things are unsteady or like you don't have a lot of control over your circumstance, try to step back and take stock of all the things that you're doing and whether you even should be doing those yeah, things. That's yeah. a big part of it. Cause the fact is you're right mm-hmm. about, I mean, if you feel uncertain and like, you're not sure what the future's going to be, that's exactly correct. Mm-hmm. If you right. feel certain about it, you're wrong. And that's actually more worrisome. Right. Mm-hmm. You can have a safety net. Yep. You know, like a financial safety net, but your future is always uncertain. Yeah. Well, it doesn't, having a safety net doesn't mean your next game is going to be a success. Yeah. So right. And sometimes you do feel, uh, if you feel uncertain because say there's, there's some really important things that you guys are doing and there's some other things that are kind of clogging, clogging the important work up. Uh, then again, that question of what, what could we not do? Because that'll actually, that, that method of paring down the work sort of, it'll extend the runway because you guys won't be working on useless stuff. Uh, it makes morale feel better because every day that you come in and you're pushing forward on, you know, one of the suite of things that will make a difference for the studio is way more important than the days of, you know, turning on stuff that probably is moving the needle or just like a little bit of nothing. Yeah. In a six person studio, like you can totally feel that on an individual basis. So depending yeah. on the project you're working on. Yeah. And, and we ran into this scenario in, in December, we talked about things like we had been looking into potentially doing console releases of Crashlands. Um, and this was right on the heels of the China launch. Yeah. And anybody who's listening to the podcast knows we've, we've been talking about that for like a year. Yeah. Potentially getting on one of the consoles. Yeah. And we just, we just realized in December, we were like, we don't, we just don't want to do that mm-hmm. in the sense that, you know, like you guys are talking about this, you know, in your last months of development, you're working on like fixing boring bugs and doing mm-hmm. you know, stuff that kind of feels grindy. Yeah. Why is there boring stuff? Right. And it may be the case that, that you're working on stuff that you actually just don't need to do or don't want to do. Um, and the question is, do you actually have to be doing those mm-hmm. things? Uh, and so in the case of the Crashlands console stuff, we thought we could try to put together a new content patch for our players and actually deliver something awesome that we can actually see, you know, mm-hmm. um, that will get our existing player base excited and re-engaged. Uh, or we can release on consoles, even though anybody who owns a console probably already has one of the many devices that Crashlands is already available for, right? right? But we should we should also say though, as a business decision, that doesn't necessarily make sense. It's like if if you're strapped for cash, putting out an update is probably less powerful than going out on a new platform, depending mm-hmm. on the platform, depending depending on a whole bunch of things, right? So it's it's not always going to be the case that that's the choice that you get to make. Um, for us, it is because we're currently fine, and so we get to focus on just where where do we want to be spending our time. And it is also well, the but, case but that I will launching say, a new game is always more powerful. Yeah, definitely. But between adding content to an existing game for your current player base and launching on a new platform. I I would say actually it was the best business decision, even though it may not have been the hardest hitting short term financial decision. Right. Because uh, in our case, we we looked at the administrative burden Mm -hmm. of working with so many third party companies that have really strong gatekeeping practices going through cert. For yep. consoles yeah. and stuff. Yeah, and again, like, I agree. For us, yeah. for us, it for was us, absolutely yeah. the right business. Yeah. But, but I think the the overall sort of uh, strategy being always bear in mind that everything that you're currently doing could be up for negotiation. Mm-hmm. And, yep. you, and you should be always rethinking the things that you're doing anyways. So um, maybe it's time to pivot. You mm-hmm. never know. So that's, I don't know, you guys have any other final thoughts nah, on that? That's good. Nah. Otherwise, Good don't, luck. otherwise, don't be sad. Also, it's winter, unless you're in Australia or something yes. like that, or South America, um, or, you know, anywhere else. Than south <laughs> of the equator. <laughs> the other half of the planet. The other entire half of the planet. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I like winter conceptually, but I always look forward to it. And then no matter, just without fail, it's just a bad experience. Yep. Yeah. Winter's just So a is summer. Summer's also a bummer. <laughs> Hotter than Hades. Yep. I wish, I wish there was a season... But Where, summer's nice to look to look through windows, you know? Yeah, and that's like, true. <laughs> right? Like being inside in the summer is great. Being anywhere in the winter is terrible. There's no, there's nowhere you can go because you go inside and you're like, there's not even sunlight coming in mm-hmm. and I'm cold yeah, all the you, time. You open the blinds and you're like, ah. And I've heard there are, other, <laughs> there are other locations in the world it, what? where the climate is slightly more tenable for human beings. Are there? I've heard of this. Aren't these places where everybody else lives? Though I you know. That's yeah, the that's the that's the thing. Is is the weather's great, but then there's these people. Yeah. You know, 
driving up prices. And I don't. Uh, and the thing, the other thing is, smelly as taking a, up traffic. As a Midwesterner, I don't know how to engage with people from places that have nice weather. Yeah. Because what are you gonna what are you gonna complain? What are you about gonna talk about in that first interaction? In the know? Midwest, Traffic in the Midwest, you've got prices. There you go. Yeah, in the Midwest, you've got two conversation topics. Mm-hmm. One is how great the weather is, mm-hmm. and the other is how bad the weather is. Yep. <laughs> when you take those away from me, I cannot see. I cannot engage. So, anyways, yeah. uh, so that's all the time we have for this week. Thank you all for listening, and we'd also like to thank our producer Fat Bard for making us sound good. And our community moderators who keep our Discord and forums running. If you'd like to get more involved in the Bscotch community, hop over to our Discord server at discord.gg slash bscotch and come say hello. If you'd like to adorn your body with butterscotch merch, you can check out our shop, which is at shop.bscotch.net. Or if you'd like to send us stuff, uh, you know, poisoned gummy bears, mm-hmm. whatever. We have a Via mail- railgun, preferably. Via railgun. You won't need that mailbox unless you're going to shoot it with your railgun. <laughs> yeah. But if you do need to shoot our mailbox with a railgun, uh-huh. yep. you can find the location of that mailbox mm-hmm. at mailbox.bscotch.net. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.